Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. Our text this morning is Matthew 27, starting in verse 51, all the way through Matthew 28, verse 20. I'm going to read for us just a few of those verses to begin. I'll pray, and then we'll dive into God's Word together. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Let's pray together. Father, all of the stories we tell about what you have done in our lives, they all find their root in this ultimate story, the story of what you've done in Christ through his resurrection that transforms everything, it changes everything. So as we turn now to your word, I pray that you give us ears that are able to hear, hearts that are able to understand and willing to obey. And I pray that this resurrection story, whether it be a new story or a familiar one, I pray that it would change us forever. We love you. and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The story of Easter does not begin with the bunny rabbits and the butterflies and all the happy things that we think about during Easter. The Easter story starts in a dark place. It's a place that picks up right where we left off on Good Friday. It starts a little bit earlier, two days earlier, in fact. And Jesus has just died. And in verse 51, we read this, Matthew 27, verse 51. Behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with them keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the Son of God. This statement is where we begin And we should understand the deep dismay that the people feel in this moment. When the centurion and his soldiers proclaim Jesus to be the Son of God, they're not thinking of him the way that we would as the Son of God, but they're thinking of him as someone who was a good and righteous man. At his death, an earthquake takes place that is so violent that tombs are even open, and the dead are exposed. Matthew sees this, he remembers this, and it reminds him of that great final truth that one day we will all be raised and testify to the work of Christ. 
But when they see this earthquake take place, when, when the world itself shakes at the death of this man, they are stunned and say, surely he was a righteous man. Surely he was a son of God. They know that they have killed someone who did not deserve to die. They have killed someone who was innocent. And they have to deal with that. That death is on their conscience. Everybody has watched this take place. This righteous good man has been killed by the Romans at the behest of the religious leaders of the day. Someone who threatened their power and their influence. They had gotten rid of him. And now this great man, this son of God, he lays dead. We begin the Easter story in a place of darkness and dismay and sadness. At this point, nobody knows what's coming. We know the end of the story. We know where this is headed. But in the moment, they don't know what's going to happen. All they know is that the person they have followed and loved, the person that they have seen perform miracles and proclaim a new way of being and living and loving that he called the kingdom of God, he seems to have been defeated. It's not only the soldiers who were there, some of his disciples and followers are there as well. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Mary Magdalene is one of Jesus' closest friends. Mary the mother of the apostle James, one of his disciples, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee, two others of his disciples. They're all there. And it's important that we see their role. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee are witnesses of the entire, um, the entire series of events. They see it all. They have seen Christ crucified. They have seen the, the cataclysm that has taken place around his crucifixion. They know he's dead. There are those who have said, well, perhaps Jesus didn't actually die. Perhaps he was just knocked unconscious because of the pain of Roman crucifixion. But we are going to trace the witness of these women as they see the entirety of what takes place. As we see their witness, we will notice they were fully aware of what had happened to Jesus. He is dead. They're not the only witnesses. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. He rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. They're watching this happen as well. They see the whole thing. And Joseph of Arimathea, a man who clearly has some means. He has his own tomb. It's a new tomb. This is a man who is a successful man there in Jerusalem. He knows that Jesus is dead because he goes to Pilate and asks for the body. 
and he receives the body. The body would have then been prepared, it would have been wrapped up, similar to how we imagine mummies when we think of mummies in Egyptian times. The body would have been wrapped in a funeral shroud and placed on a shelf inside a tomb that looks a lot like this. I took this picture while I was in Israel back in 2020, and uh, you'll notice this, like, that there is actually uh, protecting the tomb from the road that goes right by it. Um, We literally pulled the bus over to the side of the road so that we could all get a picture of what this tomb would be. This isn't Jesus' tomb, but this is a tomb that would have been used in the first century. It's this style. You see there the entrance, and and we went to another tomb where you could actually see inside, and there's shelves back in there. And that's where you would put the body. And the body would be there for a short period of time. Uh, What you would do is you would put the body there on the shelf, and then you would put something in front of the mouth of the tomb. Either you would roll a stone over it like this, or you would take a stone and insert it in there, kind of like you would a cork in a bottle. And here we see that there is a great stone rolled in front of the entrance of the tomb. So this is very similar to what Joseph of Arimathea's tomb would have looked like. Jesus would have been placed in there. And this is Friday, which means the Sabbath is the next day, which means they can't treat the body. What you need to do after someone has died is you put them in there and then you take care of the body. Because as the body begins to decompose, the body begins to smell. So you would anoint the body, you would put flowers on their strong, fragrant flowers, you would make sure that the body is cared for while it sits in this tomb. When the body finally decomposes, you would take the bones and you would treat them and you would place them in ossuary, which is like a box, and that would then be placed in a tomb and that's where the remains would stay for the rest of forever. And so they take it and they put the body a very dead body, into a tomb similar to this. And Mary and Mary see this. They're watching the whole time. They are witnesses to the fact that Jesus is very much dead. And then they leave. It's the Sabbath after all. They go back to their homes, and that's where they stay until Sunday morning. There were others who did not stay at home. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, you have the day of preparation on Friday, then you have the Sabbath on Saturday. So on the Sabbath, people who were supposed to be observing Sabbath, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they gathered before Pilate. And they said, Sir, we remember how, how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Notice who we have now. More witnesses. Thoroughly aware, the chief priests and the Pharisees, that Jesus is dead and actually really dead. They know this, but they also remember that Jesus had promised that he would resurrect. And so, they want assurances that they can prove Christ's death was a real death. They want to show that they've won, that they've defeated this want-to-be Messiah. 
Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Still concerned with their power and their influence, they're concerned that if the disciples go and steal the body, they'll be able to say, look, he resurrected, and this is even more of a problem than his teachings. If you now have a group of people who actually believe Jesus rose from the dead, well, that could destroy everything. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So now we have another group of witnesses. You have the women, you have Joseph of Arimathea, you have the religious leaders of the day, and now you have Roman guards. Now, Roman guards are very good at what they do. They crucify and they guard. They know how to kill people. And they know how to guard a tomb. So they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. They're there. The witnesses are there. And all of the witnesses agree. Jesus is dead. The problem is, all of the witnesses also agree that Jesus promised to rise again. They maybe didn't understand what that meant, but they understood the threat. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they know he taught this, and they need to make sure that that body stays put until that third day. Get to day four, well, clearly he was a liar and a fraud. So we need to guard this thing. We need to seal the tomb. We need to make sure nobody can get into this thing. The guards, clearly, whether they personally believe or not that Jesus taught these things, they understand that there's a threat. That's why they've been ordered to go and do, the, do their job of guard the tomb. And the women, they were there when Jesus told them that he would rise again. He does this three times here in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to read them. And you'll see on the screen behind me the important line from each of these statements. Matthew chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. A second time, not long after that, Matthew 17, as they were gathering in Galilee, this is up north, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. The first time he says this, Peter rebukes him outright and says, absolutely not, that's not going to happen. They don't understand this resurrection language. They understood that a resurrection was going to take place, but you see, what they believed at the time was that the resurrection was something that would happen at the end of time. After death, and after you're in this state of being dead for a while, eventually on the final day, there would be a great resurrection. So this idea of dying and then being raised on the third day makes absolutely no sense to Peter. All he hears is, you're going to be killed? Absolutely not. The second time he tells them this, we get a little bit less... I'm going to be raised on the third day, he says, and they were greatly distressed. They don't get it. They don't understand what he's saying because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit what they understand the resurrection to be, a final day event. 
How is it that Jesus is going to do this? Is it some metaphor, some, some kind of an analogy? Maybe he's going to be spiritually here with us. We know he's saying he's going to die, and they're greatly distressed. And on the third time that he tells them this, they don't even respond. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. He told them this. And when we hear the disciples, it's not only the 12 who were there, but there were many who came, including Mary Magdalene, who spent much time with Jesus throughout his ministry. The women would have known this. The disciples who had scattered, notice the women are there, but the the 12, or the 11 now, they'd scattered. They'd run under threat that they'd killed Jesus. They're coming after his disciples as well. They all heard Jesus say, I'm going to rise again. On the third day, I'm going to rise again. But nobody knew what it meant. All they knew is it was scary and strange. And the religious leaders and the Romans knew that's a threat that needs to be neutralized. Guard the tomb. Seal it. Don't let anybody near. They're all witnesses to his death. They're all witnesses to his teaching that he will rise again. And then on the third day, Jesus fulfills his own prophecies. He fulfills his own prophecies of what would happen to him. On the third day, he rises again. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Here's our witnesses. They've carried us through this. They've seen him taken down from the cross. They've seen him buried. They know where he is. This isn't some mistaken identity, wrong tomb. That's not what we have. They know exactly where he is, and they go right back to it with everything they need to anoint the body. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, we know that this is not something human, because this stone would have required a great amount of people to roll back and forth. That thing's heavy. A single figure, an angelic figure comes, and now it's been sealed, so it's even harder to move. He moves the stone. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The guards see it too. The women see this happen, and the guards are also witness to a divine event. And they become like dead men. They literally fall over in awe of what is happening right in front of them. And the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. The first proclaimers of the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The women who had come to the tomb, who had been faithful throughout the entirety of his passion, now given the honor and the privilege of being the first to say, 
He is risen. He is risen indeed. Behold, Jesus met them. While they're on their way to tell the to meet the disciples, Jesus met them, and in the most anticlimactic moment ever, Jesus said, greetings. <laughs> this is amazing to me. Hi. And they have the appropriate response. They come up, and they took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. Jesus appears, and they see him, and they know who he is. This is the risen Christ, and they fall down, and they worship. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go. Tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they'll see me. All that Jesus had promised, he fulfills. He did it. He was really dead. The women knew it. They saw it. They watched the whole thing. And then they were the first to not only proclaim the good news, but to lay hold of the risen Christ, to fall to his feet, to take hold of his feet, and to worship him. They actually touched him. This is not an apparition. This is not a ghost. They knew what apparitions and ghosts were. They knew that when people die, sometimes they had visions of seeing their loved one walking down the road. They knew this wasn't that because they fell down and they touched him and they worshiped him for Christ actually really physically rose again. They worship and then they go on their way. The first proclaimers of the gospel. There was another group there who saw all of this. The guards. While the women were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had happened. They'd fallen down as though dead, but they've seen it. They've seen this. And they go back and they tell the chief priests, hey, you know how you were worried about him coming back to life? Well, guess what? We don't have an explanation for this. But we sealed it and we guarded it. And something opened it, and he's not in there anymore. So the chief priests, they assemble the elders, and they take counsel, and they decide they know how they're going to fix the problem. We're just going to pay off the soldiers. Which means they also believe it. All three groups believe it happened. The women believe it because they see him and they worship him. The guards believe it because they've seen him with their own eyes. And they go to the chief priest and say, you're never going to believe this. And the chief priests don't say, nonsense, you drank too much last night. It didn't happen. No, they just say, we got to pay these guys off. They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, tell people. His disciples came by, came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. We want you to lie. And we want you to lie in such a way that's actually going to get you killed. Because here's the thing. If you're a guard and you fall asleep and the thing you're guarding disappears, you die. And so initially they're going, no, thank you. Absolutely not. That's the stupidest lie ever. Pilate's going to hear about this, and we're dead. And they assure him, it's okay. If this gets to the governor's ears, if this gets to Pilate, we're going to satisfy him. We'll pay him off too. The same word here. 
They gave them a sufficient sum of money, a satisfying of Pilate. This is the same idea. We'll pay him off too. Nobody dies. Everybody gets rich. We just need you to spread the story that the disciples stole the body. And so they took the money. And they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. All of these witnesses, they all see what happened. The women see it. The guards see it. The chief priests believe it. Some worship, but others reject it. Because to believe in the resurrection is to believe in your own powerlessness. None of us here can beat death. There are many who try. There are many who fight for a long life, who do everything they can to lengthen their days. You can't beat death. You are powerless in the face of it. But Jesus went into death, actual death, real death, and he walked back out of the tomb again victorious. And if that's true, then he is worthy of our worship. Then he is worthy of our devotion. Then he is worthy of the entirety of our lives and the life that we have built for ourselves the lives we are so proud of, those are lives we now have to set aside. Now we have to say, like the chief priests and the scribes and the soldiers were unwilling to say, nothing is worth denying this. We've seen it. We know it. It's true. And so a response is placed in front of us. How do we respond to what happened? We cling to him and we worship him as the women did? Or we pay ourselves off? We rationalize it away. We make sure that we do whatever we can to sear our own consciences so that we can believe it didn't actually happen. You tell a lie long enough, eventually you believe it. I want to read these last few verses to you. I just want you to hear them. The 11 disciples, they'd heard what the women had said, and they did what the women told them to do. They went to Galilee. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The disciples see the risen Christ. They fall down and they worship. But some are even doubting this. How can this be? Thomas, the most famous of the apostles who doubted at first. And maybe that's where some of you are right now. Maybe you're not in a place where you're like, oh, I'm just rejecting it outright. But you're also not in a place where you're saying, yeah, I can give my life to this. Maybe you're here 
seeing the risen Christ and the, the life of the risen Christ around us. Maybe you're here seeing that and you're going, maybe, maybe. The resurrection is an introduction of a new way of being, a new way of living and loving. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, if true, changes everything. If he truly raised from the dead, then he is inaugurating a new creation, a new kingdom, a new way of life and love and being. We call that the kingdom of God. We call that the Christian life. We call that the resurrection life. Because if that's true, then he is who he says he was. God in the flesh who died for our sins, who covers our sins with his sacrifice, with his blood, and then rises again to show us that he indeed had the power to be that sacrifice for us. The perfect sacrifice who laid down his life that we might be saved. And the only prerequisite into this resurrection life it's not work harder, be better, do this, don't do that. The way into this resurrection life is to say, Jesus, I believe. I believe. I believe that you died for me, and I believe that you rose again. I believe what the women said. And now, I'm going to live as if that's true. My whole life has changed. I believe you defeated death that I can live in resurrection life now and into eternity. We believe. And when we believe, Christ says, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And at the end of the age, he will return, and he will bring home with him. And that prayer that we prayed earlier, that Lord's Prayer, when we said, when we cried out, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One day that will happen. We trust in that. We long for that. He will return. and We will live with him in a new heaven and a new earth forever. That's the Easter story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the joy of Easter. We have in front of us these witnesses, and it is agreed across the board what they saw, what they experienced. But Lord, historical facts, they're not enough. We need more than that. Because Lord, this is something we can easily explain away, something we can easily push away, and so I ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us, help us to believe that it's true. Help us to believe that they spoke the truth, that they didn't make this up, that they didn't hallucinate, that they didn't die for nothing. They died for you. Because Jesus, you defeated death. We are willing to walk through death when we know it doesn't have the final word, and you proved it doesn't have the final word by dying and rising again on the third day. Showing us that by believing in you, by putting our faith in you, we too will rise again. 
That death does not have the final word, but that the final word is life. This is our hope. Jesus, your resurrection is our hope. And so I pray that your spirit would be at work in us as we sing of that hope together with this last song. I pray that your spirit would give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Help us to believe. And help us to then set aside all of these vain pursuits and pursue after you all that we are. Thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for your love. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.